the title of my message today does not go past me. This is your burning bush on the chilliest day in the auditorium. Funny thing is, is I, I had this, I've had this message written since, um, I think, the end of August, the beginning of September. I felt God kind of prompt me on this. Um, and I had it, so I'll let you in on, on a little secret. When we drove Josiah up to Reading to get him squared away, um, it was that very same week that um, Juan and Shelby were in New York and were flying back on Saturday. And I was not confident in the airlines. I was slightly nervous that their flight was going to be delayed and they were not going to be here. And like then I was like, so I'm thinking of you guys, who's, who's going to preach on Sunday morning if their flight gets delayed and, and all of that? And so before we drove Josiah up, I had Joel come into the sanctuary and I preached to an empty room and I had him record this message because I was concerned that Shelby and Juan would not get back in order to speak. And so um, the plan was, if their flight was delayed, the worship would happen as normal, and then, the, the, then there would be just a video, and then I would speak from the video. Um, so when they did make it back, I thought, you know what, that was a really good message. I should probably share that for real, instead of just, you know, on, on video. So um, here we are, four or five months later, I was looking at the calendar going, you know what, that's the day. That's the day right there that I want to speak it. Um, and somehow God's got a way of just working everything out. Because this message today sets up just so nice the series that we're going to begin um, next week. But we'll get more to that next week. So today what I want to do, if you haven't figured it out yet, I want to look at one of the most famous God encounters in the entire Bible, Moses and the burning bush. And so if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus chapter 2. And we're going to kind of work our way through Exodus chapters 2, uh, 3, and 4. Little, little bits and pieces. So I want to give a little bit of a backstory just in case you're not familiar with, with, the, with the passage so that everybody's on the same page when we, when we, start, when we start reading. We'll, we'll start in verse 23. So here we go. Before we pick the story up, the Israelites have been in slavery in Egypt for 430 years. And so during their time of slavery, there was this, there was this time where the, where the Israelite nation, they were growing and they were getting so numerous that the Egyptians were actually becoming afraid of them. And so they, they, they established this, this precedent, this law, where they began to kill all the baby boys that were born. And this is when Moses came on the stage. This is when Moses was, was born in this time. And so in order to save his life, Moses' mother is, built this makeshift little raft, and she put Moses into this raft and sent him down the Nile River, trusting that somehow, some way, that God would spare Moses' life. Well, he was discovered by Pharaoh's daughter, who was bathing in the Nile River, and he was raised in Pharaoh's house as an Egyptian. Now, when Moses is 40 years old, he wants to kind of reconnect with his Jewish roots. And so he goes out to see his Israelite brothers who are in slavery. And he sees uh, an Egyptian master that's beating one of the Israelites. And so in trying to help his Israelite brother, Moses actually kills this Egyptian and then buries him in the sand so that no one will, will discover what, what he had done. Turns out the Pharaoh did find out what what happened, and Pharaoh tried to kill Moses, and so he fled to the wilderness, spending the next 40 years as a shepherd wandering around 
the wilderness. So where we pick up our story in verse 23 of Exodus chapter 2, Moses is 80 years old. And it says, Now it came about in the course of time, those many days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel sighed because of their bondage. And they cried out, and their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. So the Israelites are in bondage, and they are crying out because of their bondage, because of their circumstances. And their cries, it says, rose up to God, and he heard their groanings, and he remembered the covenant that he made with Abraham, how he said that he would bring them out of Egypt and into the promised land. Verse 25 says that God took notice of them. And some translations, you know, depending on your Bible, will say that he knew them. That Hebrew word is the word yada, Y-A-D-A. And it, it literally means to know by experience. You see, God is, was not at that time nor at this time. As he's sitting up in heaven far off just watching from a distance everything unfold and play out on the earth. He wasn't sitting back and watching the, the, you know, the, the sons of Israel being, being uh, abused and, 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 and run into the ground in slavery. But he was up close and personal with them. He knew their struggles by experience. He wasn't absent, but he was very present with them. See, he knows what every person is going through on the face of the planet, whether it's good, whether it's bad, or whether it's ugly. Every day we're surrounded by people that are crying out and they are groaning. And they are, they are in bondage to addictions. They are in bondage in, in abusive relationships. They are struggling with finances and physical problems. They are, they are fearful of what's happening in the world and they are terrified of the future, what's to come. I mean, if you've been on social media at all over the last, you know, three days, you've seen this, this host of people posting about 2022 and how, you know, this is, this is 2020, T-O-O. Like, some, like it's going to be some sort of repeat. Or, or there, there, there are people who are, who are saying like, uh, you know what, let's, let's approach this year with caution. Nobody touch anything. Let's just walk through the door nice and steady and slowly. We don't want to upset anything in the first few days of the new year. People are very apprehensive about this year and about what's to come because of the past years and the past couple years that we've been through. People all around us are walking around with no hope. And they are lost and they are stumbling through life with a God-sized hole in their heart. And they are desperately trying to fill that hole with anything, something. Some people try and fill that emptiness with possessions. And some people try and fill it with relationships. Or some people just stay busy so that they don't, they don't notice it. And, or it's entertainment or it's pleasure. But in the inside, they are still crying out because really what they're looking for is they're looking for freedom. They're looking for fulfillment. They're looking for purpose. They may not realize it, but what they're looking for is Jesus. And we walk among these people day after day after day, and God knows their struggles. He knows their lives intimately. He knows their situations. Jesus is not far off as some people believe. He is up close and he is personal with every person on the planet. He hears their cries, he knows them, and he has a plan. 
Look at Exodus chapter 3, and we'll read verses 1 through 10. It says, Now Moses was pastoring the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet it was not consumed. I wonder if the bush gave off heat as I was reading this this morning, because I was thinking like, God, you know, if you could give us a burning bush that was not consumed in the room this morning. Anyway, that's a side. Yes, yes. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. He said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place in which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the Lord, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jezubite. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. So Moses is going about his business. He's living his life. He's working his job. He, at this time, he's got a wife and two children. It's not a glorious life. It's not a glamorous life, especially when he turns around and he looks back 40 years previous as to when he grew up in Pharaoh's household in the palace. But it's his life. He's leading smelly, noisy sheep around all day long, making sure they eat enough making sure they drink enough, they don't get lost, and they don't get killed. If you go to the next slide, this is actually a snapshot of Moses' life right here. Just wait for it. Oh, it's a sheep. Oh, he's so cute. And yeah, that's Moses' life right there. That's what he does all day long. One day, he's leading the sheep in the backside of the wilderness, and he sees this bush that's on fire, but it isn't consumed. It just burns continually. It's interesting enough for him to go and to check it out, and as he approaches, a voice begins to call his name. Moses is alone. Most likely, Moses spends most of his days alone, maybe multiple days in a row all by himself. So he's probably starved for conversation because the sheep don't talk much, although he probably talks a lot. The sheep just listen. So here he is. He's having a conversation with a burning bush that just called his name. He says, Moses, don't move. Take your sandals off for the place where you are standing is holy ground. It's really easy when we read through stories like this in the scripture just to, yeah, to, to read that and then just, just to keep moving through the verse. But I don't want us to just keep moving through the verse. We need to stop and pause for a moment. We can't rush the reading of the scripture. We need to think about it. Where is Moses right now? He's in the wilderness, right? He's in the desert. What is he doing? He's shepherding sheep. 
So Moses is, in the, Moses is in the desert shepherding sheep, which means there are sheep all around him. Moses isn't at a place of worship. Moses is at work. God tells him to remove his sandals because the place where he's standing is holy ground. And so since Moses is a shepherd, and we know that sheep primarily eat and poop, what is he standing on? You can go to the next slide. Moses is standing in a place that has sheep poop all over the ground. And this is what God calls holy. He said, this is holy ground. God is calling Moses for a special assignment. And he chooses a piece of desert land with sheep dung all over it for this divine, holy moment. See, God always calls us right where we are in the situation that we find ourselves in. Moses had made a real fine mess out of his life. He was royalty, and in a moment of passion for a fellow Israelite, he kills a man. And anyone, has anyone ever done something in a moment that seems to have altered the course of your life completely? It was just a momentary decision. It was just words spoken out of passion or anger or frustration. Does anybody have regrets over decisions made, actions done, words spoken? We are really, really good at making a mess out of our lives. We damage relationships. We make bad decisions. We do things that are selfish because we're selfishly motivated. We say dumb things. We think worse things than what we say most of the time because we you know most of us have that filter that that is right about here between our brain and our, and our mouth and so we tend to filter out the really bad things that we're thinking but we still say dumb things we've got bad attitudes self-centered motives we are really we are the poopy gift that just keeps on giving to ourselves and i'm sure over the 40 years 40 years i'm 45 right so 40 years is a long time. Can you imagine leading sheep through the desert for 40 years, thinking over and over and over about the one decision that absolutely changed the course of your life? He's had plenty of time to regret his actions because he went from royalty to fugitive in a moment. And now he's just punching a clock in what appears to be a dead-end job following sheep around the desert. Has anybody ever felt like you've got no purpose in life? Like you're just kind of wasting away? You know, you, you get up in the morning and you, you make breakfast, you go to work, you fight through traffic, you, you punch the clock at the end of the day, you go home, you get dinner ready, you, you, you play with the kids, you sit on the couch, you watch TV, you watch some sports, you go to bed. You get up in the morning, you make breakfast, you fight traffic, you go to, it's just day after day after day, and it just feels like the grind of life, like what on earth am I even doing? Like I just feel like I'm wasting my life. 
Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking like, I've just messed up my life so bad that I missed my opportunity. I knew what it was that, that I was supposed to be doing, but there was that decision, there was that moment, and I messed it up, and now the door is closed and my opportunity is gone. Maybe you're sitting here and you feel like, well, you know what, God can't use me because of what I've done. Or you're sitting here and you're, you're just living your life and you have no clue that God has a destiny and a plan for your life. Or you've made too many mistakes. You're too young. You're too old. You've got too many problems. You need more experience. You need more time. You're not just, just not a viable candidate for God to use because I'm no one special. What could God possibly do with my life? Well, let's talk just a minute about the people that God uses. How about some of the famous people that we like to look up to in the Bible? Noah, he was a drunk. Abraham was old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab, she was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David had an affair and he was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep on the job. They had one job, just be awake and be with Jesus. They blew it. Martha worried. The Samaritan woman was divorced. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer and Lazarus was dead. God can use you too. There is nothing that you have done in your life that has disqualified you from being used by God. And not just a small part. God's got big things for you to do. And he's calling you out right now. Right in the middle of the mess that you find yourself in. Some of us, the mess that we created. Others, it's the mess that we, we were thrown into. With all your doubts, with all your inadequacies, with all your faults, you right now, today, we are in a holy ground moment. Take your shoes off and feel the poo of the situation squished between your toes. Right where you are, God is saying, I'm calling you and this is your holy ground moment. He wants you to know that what he has for you can't be done on your own. It's okay that you feel inadequate and not qualified and nobody special because what he has for you is impossible for you to accomplish all by yourself. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It only matters if you say yes. You're not qualified. You're not disqualified because he's the one who qualifies you. And it's not your talents or your skills that he's looking for. Jesus is looking for your yes. This, this is your burning bush. In verse 8, if you notice, God tells Moses, he says, I've come to deliver the Israelites. And then in verse 10, he says this, come now, I'm sending you. God came to deliver the Israelites, but was using Moses. God was calling Moses to be a deliverer. And I believe everything in me, that he has the exact same calling for each one of you. He is calling you to be a deliverer, 
I want you to look at your neighbor and say, you're a deliverer. Come on now with a little vigor. You're a deliverer. Now say, I'm a deliverer. That's your job description. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he, he writes and he says, we've got this ministry of reconciliation, which is bringing people into relationship with God so that their sins and their trespasses, their mistakes, their wrongs, their faults, they won't be held against them. This is the mission of every follower of Jesus. It's the ministry of reconciliation. We are to take the freedom that we know as followers of Jesus. We are to take the hope that we have and we are to give it away. Give the deliverance away that you were, you were once delivered from addiction, from sin, from selfishness. You were once delivered and now you are to give that same freedom away. God is calling us up and out today. Up to answer his call to be a deliverer and out to where he has placed you. So what are you going to do? What's your answer going to be? To you and I, we are called to live on mission. You know, we've, there's been times and seasons in the church where we've done people a disservice. You know, it's not just about accepting Jesus into your life and, and, and getting saved. That's not just it. If that was, if that was just the goal, if that, then you know, he might as well take us the moment anybody says yes. Right? He's got a mission for you. He's got an assignment for you. He's got a purpose and a destiny for you. We are to live on mission. We are to tell people about the freedom found in Jesus and we are to demonstrate the love and the power that he has for people. That's what we're supposed to do. This is your burning bush, this moment right here. Turn to Exodus chapter 4, verses 2 through, two through 5. It says, The Lord said to him, What's in your hand? And he said, A staff. And then he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. But the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by its tail. So he stretched out his hand and he caught it and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. This is the tool of his, of his trade. It was his shepherd's staff. With it, he could guide the sheep. With it, he could kind of grab them around the neck and pull them out of those, you know, ditches that they find themselves in. With it, he protected the sheep. This is quite the weapon. He could ward off wolves and predators. This is what he's holding. God says, what's in your hand? I think he's asking us the same question. What's in your hand? See, the staff that Moses held in his hand, it represented his livelihood. This was his job. This was his place in society. He was a shepherd. And God said to him, take what's in your hand and throw it down on the ground. So he throws it down on the ground, it becomes a snake. And then when Moses picks, up, picks it back up again by the tail, it becomes, it becomes a staff. See, in Moses' hand, it was just a staff. 
but in God's hand, it was a tool of deliverance. Because in verse 5, it says that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to you. See, in your hands, you've got a job. You've got a career. You have a place in society. You're surrounded by friends, colleagues, employees, people you interact with. In your hands, you're a parent. You live in a neighborhood. But in God's hands, all of those things become tools of deliverance. You may not realize this, but you have been strategically positioned by God to bring deliverance to the people around you, the people that you already have relationship with, the people that you already have influence with. Some people get called out and they get sent out. They get sent to other places. But I'd have to say conservatively, 80% of people, they get called right where they are and God leaves them right where they are because they have relationship with people that need to know him. These people that you know, that you work with, that you live beside, that you interact with on a daily basis, most of us here, we don't know them. Many of them, the majority of them, we probably won't ever have a chance to meet. But you know them. You talk to them. You have relationship with them. And it's not by accident. That's God's strategy. You've been strategically placed by God. The question really is, will you keep it in your hands or will you give it back to God? Will it just be a job? Will it just be a place in your community? Will it, or, or will it be a place of miracles as God works through you? See, in Moses' hands, it's just, it's just a stick. That's all that it is. But in God's hands, it was a tool of supernatural deliverance. It was a sign, it was a wonder, and it was a miracle. See, in your hands, it's just natural. But in God's hands, it's supernatural. In your hands, it's just a job. But in God's hands, it's divine placement. In your hands, they're friends and family. But in God's hands, there are people who are about to be set free by the miraculous power of Almighty God. They're about to experience Jesus in their life. In your hands, it's a neighborhood that you live in, but in God's hands, it's a place of freedom. It's a place of revival. It's a place where the river of God flows because you're there. God's calling you to be a deliverer right where you are. And it doesn't matter if your life is a mess. It really doesn't. He's really not concerned with that. He strategically placed you. So will you allow God to work through you? Or will you ignore his calling and leave all those people in bondage to sin, addiction, relationships, depression, anxiety, hopelessness? And it can be as simple as inviting them to church with you. It can be as easy as offering to pray for them when they're hurting and when they need a miracle. We, you know what, family? We just need to show up and say yes. Show up and say yes. Say yes to God's call. We make ourselves available to be used by God. You don't even have to know what to do. 
You just listen for his voice. What's he saying to you in that moment? And then you do what he says. Sometimes, honestly, we just figure it out as we go. I know I've said this before, but I, to be honest, for most of the, most of the time, at least three quarters of the time, I have no idea what I'm doing. I just show up and say, yes. Okay, God, what are we doing today? And then when he speaks, that's what I do. I have no idea. I don't have, the, I don't have a lot of big strategy. I've told you guys before, our strategy is eyes on Jesus. That's our strategy. That's how we figure out what it is that we're going to do as a church family, the direction that we're going, eyes on Jesus. Figuring, that out, figuring it out as we go. A couple weeks ago, um, I, listened to a, I listened to a message. And in the, in the message, the, the speaker's name was, is, um, is David Hogan. And he's a, he's a missionary to, to Mexico. And he was telling a story of when he was, was very early in his ministry. So he, it was like 1970, 1971. He's, he's been a missionary in Mexico for decades. And he tells the story of, of how he went there. He felt called by God to go to Mexico. And really his, his assignment was to, was to heal the sick and cleanse the leper and raise the dead. That's really what he felt like he was doing. He said, I was failing miserably. He said, everybody that I laid hands on to pray for died. Every one of them. He said, I've prayed for about five or six people. They all died. And he's like, I have no idea what I'm doing. So he's, you know, lay your hands on the sick, cleanse the leper. He goes, I, I need to find a leper. And so he starts asking around the, 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 the town. He says, where's there a leper? And it turned out that nobody would tell him where, where one was, but it was like a 12-hour hike up a mountain. He figured it out. And so he hikes this 12 hours up a mountain. When he gets up there, the police are there, and they end up arresting him, and, and he goes through all of these, these trials and struggles. And it turns out that there was a thief, a woman who was a thief, that ended up helping him. And he asks her, where's the leper? And so she tells, she tells him, and, and he goes and knocks on the door. And the, the wife comes out, and he's like, I'm, I'm, here to, I'm here to see your husband. I'm here to see the leper. She's like, he won't see you. And so he has a struggle getting in to see him. Eventually, he allows him to go in, and uh, he knows he's on assignment. He's supposed to cleanse the leper. He walks into the, the room, the, their, their house. He says, I walk into the house, and I immediately begin vomiting because the smell is so bad. He's like, here I am to ha- trying to help this guy. He says, I can't stop vomiting. It's just horrendous. He says, so he, he, it takes some time. He pulls himself together, and he sits down beside this guy, and his, his leg is like three times the size of what it should be, and it's covered in banana leaves. And he's like, I have no idea what I'm doing. So I uncover his leg and it show, to show this, this big open wound that's just like, in, in his words, not mine, he says, it's just goo. And I sit there, he says, not knowing what to do. So I'm like, I'm just going to stick my hand in it. And so he sticks his hand inside the guy's leg and he says it sinks in about four inches and it's just goo. And he pulls it out, and then he starts screaming at the lady, his, his wife, for, to get a bucket and some soap and some water. And she goes, we're poor. We don't have a bucket. He says, you're a thief. Go steal one. And so she goes around, and she gets a bucket and some soap and some water. And he, he, clean, you know, he washes himself up. He prays for the guy. He's like, literally, he's like, I'm out of control. I have no idea what I'm doing. And he says, I'll be back in three days. And he leaves. And he comes back in three days, and he's got clothes, and he's got food, and no change. He says, I come back three or four more times. And he said, the last time that I went back, 
I was giving away the clothes and the, the food that I, that I brought with me to this village. And the wife approaches me and she says, have you, have you seen my husband? And he said, no, I, ha- I, haven't, I haven't seen him. And she said, turn around. And he comes around the corner holding a shovel and like a, like a, like a garden hoe. And he's walking and he is completely, perfectly healed. You don't have to know what to do. You just figure it out as you go. God's not going to leave you high and dry. I know what it's like to feel like I, you have no clue what you're doing. To stumble your way through talking to somebody about Jesus. To offer up a, a you know, like a weak, half-faith-filled prayer for somebody. You're like, your life is, I thought my life was a mess. Your life's a mess. God, help them. And you're just offering up these, in your, you know, on, on, in all honesty, sometimes we just offer up weak prayers because we're like, Phew. I don't know about that. But you show up and you say yes. Not every time you're gonna not every time you're gonna show up and be like, you know, God's man or woman of faith and power for the hour where you know. Sometimes you will lay hands on people and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is going to do something. And man, we we live for those moments because those moments feel great. But more often than not, we just feel inadequate and we're offering up prayers and we're doing the best that we can. I've seen some of the greatest miracles in my entire life in moments where I was just like, that was just a, that was a nothing moment. There was a lady that I prayed for in my office one time. I'd been in heart failure for years and was literally on death's bed. I talked to her about Jesus. She said, yes, we prayed. I said, can I pray for your heart? And I, I just prayed, God, touch her and heal her in Jesus' name. Like, I felt nothing. I got a phone call the next day and she got up out of bed and she was making breakfast for her family, which she hadn't done in about five years. She never looked back. It was a nothing moment for me. But I just showed up and said yes. He's calling you. He wants to use you. What's your answer going to be? I just want you to close your eyes for a moment. I just want to give, I know God's been speaking and talking to you. I, I just want to give some silent space for you and he to have a little conversation. So ultimately, this is always between you and the Lord. But sometimes we just need to do, we need to do something. We need to, to act on, you know, these things that we're having this conversation with God. He's calling us and he's just asking us to say yes. And so I want us to do this. If you're ready, if you're willing to say yes to Jesus, be like, God, I, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just going to show up. I'm saying yes to the call. I just simply want you to stand up. And there's no pressure. There's no, you know, uh, manipulation or shame. If you decide to sit down, no one stands. It's all good. 
because this is really between you and the Lord. But like I said, sometimes we just need to, we need to move. We need to kind of come into agreement with what it is that God is talking to us about. And so if you're going to say, yeah, here I am. God, use me right where I am. I'm going to say yes every time you speak to me, even if I don't know what I'm doing. Then you can stand. Father, you see the yes. And you heard the yes even before they stood. I thank you that your word tells us that we have an anointing from the Holy One. The anointing that's within us is the very presence of God. I pray that in addition to that anointing that's inside of us, that your anointing, your presence would rest and settle upon us, God. That as we go to work, we go home, we interact with people in our community, we go to the store, that we are there to say yes to you. When it's convenient and when it's not convenient, when we're full of faith and when we're full of fear, when we know what to do and when we don't know what to do, we're saying yes. Because the people around us need you. So we're answering your call this morning. The call to be used by you. To set people free. To love people with the love of Jesus. And to release your power over them. To see them step into the full freedom that you have for them. For who the sun sets free is free indeed. God, I pray that you would work miracles through us, signs and wonders and healings. I pray, God, that through us, as we say yes, that you would, you would use us to cleanse the leper and to raise the dead, that you would use us to welcome people into your family as they say yes to Jesus in the middle of their mess, that you would work in us and that you would work through us in Jesus' name. Here we are, God. Send us, use us, we say yes in Jesus' name. After Moses said yes to God, he just had to walk it out. He had to journey. He had to walk. He had to go back to Egypt. It wasn't one mountaintop experience to the next to the next. Practically, he had to figure out what to do with his flock, with his sheep. He had to go back to his father-in-law. So when you leave here today, Walk it out. Go about your life. Just listen for his voice and say yes. That's it. It's not always mountaintop to mountaintop. And we love the mountaintop experiences, but they're not as, they're not as many as what, as what we would like. Life is really lived between them. And so you are sent in the name of Jesus in the power of Jesus, you have 
everything that you need because he lives in you. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Thank you.